Welcome everyone to episode number 147 of the GateWorld podcast. I'm Darren. And I'm Adam. Hey, and this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. Adam, we've reached the end of our promised trilogy that we told people we were going to we we're gonna talk about Stargate Origins first half, Stargate Origins the whole thing. And now our main topic for this podcast is what's next. We're going to look at the future of the Stargate franchise, our hopes, our dreams, our wishes. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this with you. Yeah, me too. I mean, even as we were discussing Origins last week, it was kind of dawning on me, like, this is a complete chapter of Stargate. Like, we have, if you're looking at something that has installments, whether it's a season or a series, like, we have had a full installment, a full beginning to end, announcement to release, and, like, it's what I live for with Stargate, so it's just, it's so surreal. Yeah, we got the news of Stargate Origins back in July at Comic-Con, and then they they were into pre-production in August. They were shooting, I think, by October. Yeah. The show was out by February, and now it's it's kind of wrapped up. We're in the spring now. Most of what we're doing here is going to be speculation because we don't know what's coming yet. Uh, we'll come back on the podcast, I think. You and I are both going to be excited to come back once some kind of official announcement has been made Absolutely. about what's coming next. But yeah, here we're mostly kind of speculating, educated guesses. We can we can say that we know one thing for sure, which is that uh, talks are happening. There's there's the wheels are turning inside MGM. They're not just taking a look at Origins, uh, putting Stargate back on the shelf, and moving on. Well, Stargate Origins was really meant to be a bit of a test. Or kind of like, I call it a ping notification. Like, it's not this thunderous <laughs> yeah, theatrical right. return. It's just kind of saying, hey, Stargate exists. We care about it. We would like to see what kind of interest it cultivates in the form of a very limited web series. And then now's the time to examine what worked, what didn't work, and, and what the landscape is going forward and how people might want to digest or receive new Stargate. It's been a lot of years. You know, you and I were just talking before we started recording about the fact that it's been now 10 years since the SG-1 movies came out. It's crazy. Uh, it's it's a decade since new SG-1 content. It's, uh, you know, we're coming up pretty soon on a decade since Atlantis ended in 2009. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. And the, the thing is, the distribution landscape has really changed. And that's part of the reason I wanted to have this discussion, because... When uh, the producers, when MGM was looking at doing new Stargate back in, say, 2008, 2009, like they were looking to do DVD movies and they were still looking to have a show on sci-fi. And, and now, right. you know, that was back when cable providers used to be like kind of the only way you could get an original show on TV without being on a network. Like you didn't have the same height of HBO or Netflix or Hulu or all these uh, content creators. And right. you also had, if you wanted to make a, a mid-budget movie, you kind of had to stick to the DVD market. That industry is more or less gone now. We're in the era of streaming. We have so many more content providers and, and networks, so to speak, that are streaming, like like Hulu and, and Amazon. They're acting as their own studios. So this opens a plethora of opportunities for Stargate, considering how massive and beloved of a brand it is. So it's just a matter of finding a combination between financing and distribution outlet and format that works. 
Yeah, so we'll talk about all that. That's all on tap. We're going to talk about not only what kind of Stargate it might be, what it might look like, what it might feel like, but also where it might be distributed. Because you're right, the last time uh, MGM was having conversations about uh, how to move the franchise forward was, you know, Stargate Universe was on Sci-Fi Channel. Uh, we, you've got cable TV and then you've got the DVD market. And as uh, longtime Stargate fans will probably know and remember – the reason why we didn't get more movies from Stargate SG-1, Stargate Atlantis, is exactly what you said. More or less, the bottom fell out of the, the DVD market. Right. So that alone can't sustain the, the production costs of a film. But now, right, it's a totally different ballgame in 2018. So before we get into the main discussion, let's recap a little bit of what we've been doing on GateWorld. And a lot of this is related, right? We've been doing a lot of Origins coverage, but also a lot of this forward-looking what's next for the franchise. Um, one thing that we've done recently that uh, people should go and check out is we have a new contributor, Sarah Kehoe. Instead of looking forward, um, she's actually a longtime fan who's taking us uh, back, back to the beginning of Stargate Universe. Sarah is a longtime fan of Stargate SG-1, Stargate Atlantis, right? She's not a newcomer to the franchise, but she never watched SGU when it was on the air. She's, uh, she told me she's had the DVDs on her shelf for ages. So now, in 2018, she's going back as a longtime Stargate fan and watching Stargate Universe for the very first time. And she's writing a column about it. And what's interesting is for a, a little while now, in the last few years, I've started to see more and more fans say, I never watched Universe because either I didn't want to or I moved on from Stargate or, or maybe I didn't really connect with the pilot. And at that time, it was a little raw because Atlantis seemingly got prematurely canceled and the direct, the DVD movies for Atlantis and SG-1 weren't coming out. And there was kind of a bit of, of d disdain and fandom at the state of the franchise, which, which yeah, caused people to shy away. Was so different. Yeah, exactly. So now that, you know, time heals all wounds. And now that we have a lot of time in between that chapter of Stargate, fans are able to go back and actually give universe a fair chance and potentially enjoy it more than I thought. And I think Sarah might fall into that category and her, her article will really connect with people who might be just, just sampling universe as of late. So it's fun, I think, for GateWorld readers now who have maybe seen Stargate Universe to, to keep up with Sarah's regular column on SGU and just see like fresh eyes. You know, what, what questions is she asking? I've also been doing a lot of work lately on GateWorld's YouTube channel. Um, I'm hoping to get some free time over the spring and summer to ramp that up a bit and do, do some more. Uh, I also got some new hardware that I'm hoping is going to speed up the, the editing process. But uh, what do you think of, of what you've seen there? Let me ask you for your cold, hard, honest evaluation. <laughs> I'm really new to this. Let me say, I'm really new to this. Well, you're doing a fantastic job. I wouldn't have known that. I mean, your first video really did very well um, with, with audiences and, and everything subsequent to that has kind of started to take gate world's repository of knowledge and your own, you know, encyclopedic, uh, experience with Stargate and be able to transcribe that into video or our audio format, um, for, for more people to enjoy. Cause I think I've seen in, in any kind of media or journalistic endeavor, more mediums are coming into play. You know, more people are doing video content or visual content or audio content or even podcasts. And so this is an exciting step for, for GateWorld and something I've even lobbied for for a bit uh, because I know there is a large Stargate community on YouTube that is, is somewhat underutilized by, yeah. by the fandom. 
Yeah, it's super fun. And I've I've got a million and one ideas for videos now that I'm into it. The first one that we did was, uh, will there be a fourth Stargate series? There's this question that we're talking about in the podcast today, which is this forward looking, what might MGM uh, be working up? And that's, that's hit about a quarter of a million views, which blew my mind. That one went viral. Yeah. Uh, and I'm super excited about all the conversation that it's generated. Uh, and then I've, I've done some since then we've done your, your, uh, interviews, like your interview with Daniel Rashid. We've done the, the, the video version of the audio interview. Uh, and then, uh, one thing that I've been working on is kind of short, quick little video versions of the Stargate Omnipedia. So the first one I did was just the Asgard, right? Just five minutes talking about the history of the Asgard, um, how they show up in Stargate mythology. Uh, the next one that I'm working on right now, which hopefully will be out soon, is on the Zat Gun. It's just three minutes, the Zat Gun, here's what it is, here's how it works. Just like you would read in the Omnipedia. I think for fans who are browsing YouTube, um, this is going to resonate well with them, especially over time, because these are just very digestible chunks to, to celebrate Stargate. Like if you see something like, I'm a huge fan of the Earth fleet in, in, in Stargate, like the Daedalus or the Apollo or um, the F-302. So if you, there was a little segment on that. I think, yeah. Let's, let's stroll down memory lane. Let's go see the history of, of that program or the, or the history of what um, the technology did in, in this episode. Episode. And and so that's that's something that I think once, especially we gain more and more entries in the Stargate debrief series, it's going to start to become a, a thing that can be passed around and shared as, as part of the love for Stargate. Also, there's there's newcomers. There's, believe it or not, maybe people out there who have never seen every single episode of Stargate. <laughs> and it might function as as kind of a helpful little little primer on Stargate. So now that's what's been keeping me busy. What have you been been working on these days? Well, I'm still doing some of the Origins interviews. It's taking a while because we're getting a bit backlogged, but I still have some of the major players to interview, which I'm very excited about. I'm also excited to kind of bring a little bit more insight into the filmmaking process and maybe even what's going on behind the veil with the studio. I also started to do that even in the last Stargate's return column, which kind of ties into our main discussion, wrote this pretty sizable article about examining all the likely or what I saw as all the likely possibilities of where Stargate could go in the near future. And and that's just something I think I would have liked or I like to read because I grew up reading Joe's blog, which was very centric on filmmaking, logistics and creativity. So that's kind of what I've been enjoying doing lately. And I'm also still working on the legacy column, picking away at it when I can and, and just enjoying the ride. I'm enjoying being busy and having new Stargate. I'm going to tell people who are listening to this to go to your computer and go read Adam's uh, last editorial, Stargate's Return, The Next Step is the title. Uh, we'll link to it from the podcast show notes. Uh, this one, yeah, you, it's funny you say it was it was long. Uh, I This is the one that I made you cut twice, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was really long, right? So I made you go back to the drawing board, cut, cut out the, the excess, trim the fat, which, you know, writers don't like to hear. Right. And then it came back and I told you to do it again. But the final product, I think, is is a beautiful piece of work. And you did a terrific job kind of looking at what are all the possibilities. And we'll talk about this in the main discussion in just a minute. What are all the possibilities that MGM might consider? Right. More Stargate Origins, a feature film, maybe a miniseries, maybe a fourth regular TV show, uh, maybe, you know, something else entirely. You've got... 10 different things here. Uh, 
it's if, if people are, are interested in the main discussion here that, that we're talking about in this podcast, um, you should definitely go and read Adam's article. The main discussion. Well, once again, the main discussion topic is the future of the Stargate franchise. What lies ahead for our favorite big round ring? And let me start by asking you this. And it's a question that I posed on Twitter. It's it's a question that I have, have always meant to go back and write uh, another piece about. What are the core defining elements of storytelling that Stargate needs in order to still be Stargate, right? What what makes Stargate Stargate and how far can we drift from that formula before we're, we're kind of talking about a, a different sort of animal? I posed this question on Twitter. I did a poll about uh, when Stargate should be set, right? Would you would you like to see uh, the next Stargate set in, in the past, right? A prequel like Origins or in the kind of near present immediately after SG-1 Atlantis Universe, or maybe a, a show that's set in the future, right? The 22nd century, you know, Stargate the Next Generation, that sort of thing. So let me pose it to you, Adam, to kick us off. What are the, those core defining elements that make something Stargate? I think at the moment, for what we know of Stargate, it's about what humanity could be experiencing with a with a kind of Stargate discovery in the present. And that's something that Brad Wright uh, brought up pretty recently he, um, as fans were starting to, to ask him on Twitter about what he thought about more Stargate. He said it, the reason the show was so successful is because it was in the here and now. And you do have these very mythic roots you can go down. I mean, with the ancients, you can – I mean, there's there's some crazy mythology that was cultivated in, in SG – I mean, all the shows, really, especially as recently as Stargate Universe with the cosmic background microwave radiation, I think it's called. Um, so you have these real rich storytelling choices. I think, however, our understanding of Stargate is that more classical – core group adventure. And I think Melozzi said uh, Stargate also resonated with people because it felt like your friends. It felt like you were hanging out with your friends. You knew these people. You loved these people. You felt accepted mm, yeah. by these people. I think that's really the core of Stargate is the adventure and the familial connections between people who who end up meeting and going on an adventure together um, in the here and now. That, to me, I think in its truest sense is what made it, it recognizable. That's a great point. So many of us fell in love with not just the characters individually, but with the team. Yeah, right? exactly. We love the, the team episodes, right? SG-1 goes through the gate, they get into trouble, they get out of it, and they go home. Uh, uh, Shepard's team on Atlantis function much the same way. This was one of the ways in which SGU kind of, of varied the formula a little bit. It, it turned it on its head in that there was, there was a, a, a group of people and yeah, at least by the end of, of the second season, there was that family feeling that, that had come together. Uh, but there wasn't a kind of a, a small unit of four or five people that went through the gate on adventures. Right. So the core group was there was there was like nine main cast members, plus all the supporting people who were in, you know, 16 episodes a year. Right. I, I want to be clear. I don't think we need another SG-1 exactly or a reboot of SG-1 or something that's so centered in the past. I think the spirit of collaboration in the yeah. context of some kind of Stargate adventure and the spirit of, of discovery and and seeking 
more knowledge and a, and a better future, and also to understand the universe around us, because some of the mythology in, in Stargate SG-1 is so heavily tied to our own history. And you got to think, these these intrepid explorers of Stargate are finding out what the rest of us don't know, what we're oblivious to. And that was really part of, I think, what, what got early SG-1 uh, so popular was because of that mythology and the original movie, definitely. Yeah, this resonated with me so much when I first fell in love with Stargate. I I first started watching Stargate SG-1 at the beginning of season two. It was I was a year out of college and I was I started picking up season two and then going back and watching the season one reruns anytime they came up on Showtime that I could catch them, right? Because there was no DVDs, there was no streaming. Uh, but I, I, what I fell in love with was this interweaving in this fantastical way of the past and the present and the future. And so it was set in the present. It was a, it was a air force team, uh, you know, air force, archeologists, aliens, get them all together. <laughs> the past element was ancient earth mythology, right? Ancient Egyptian. And then eventually expanding into, to other uh, mythologies from the ancient world. That was through the, through the Goa world, and then the the future of it, right? There's a lot of futurism in Stargate because it's it's true science fiction. There are spaceships, there are ray guns, there's time travel, there's all that cool stuff. Stargate, in a way that I, I can't think of any other sci-fi franchise, it pulls together the past, the present, and the future. And that's right. That's why Stargate, the feature film, struck such a chord was it had the future and and the past pulled together with the kind of Egyptian vibe and the alien tech. And that's part of the reason I'm a little hesitant to suggest some kind of either ancient mythic show, like, you know, Game of Thrones type density of, of mythos in terms of a prequel series that we can really explore the, the beginning of the Stargate timeline or something that's in the future where where we've advanced far beyond what we could imagine seeing in SG-1 or Atlantis, because then you start to broach the territory of other big franchises like Star Trek or, or Star Wars or something that's very mythologically dense. And Stargate cultivated a really unique tone in mythology. And before we expand, I think just like some of the other franchises like Star Wars or Jurassic are doing, we have to remember why we fell in love with Stargate. And the other thing is, as you said earlier, there are going to be so many people who might have never seen a Stargate episode. So if we're going to bring something to them and say, Stargate is back, check us out, you know, give us a chance. We want to exhibit something that embodies the best parts of what we love about Stargate and that that's rooted rich in that legacy. Yeah, and here's what we love about it. Here's here's why Stargate is different from Star Trek or Star Wars or Battlestar Galactica. Right? It's it's got that that particular something. So I'm not a hundred percent set that the the next full TV show or movie has to be set in the here and now. But if it's not, if it's if it's set in the future, the past, wherever, uh, I think it, it needs to be grounded. So it's the familiarity of. You know, people who who you recognize, who who you know, crack jokes like Jack O'Neill, people who you might you know want to go go have dinner with. Right, and credit where credit is due, we kind of saw a bit of an expansion in Stargate Origins. I mean, we got a bit of an Indiana Jones vibe, a 1930s adventure vibe. So again, that that started to expand the 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 time period of what we see Stargate stories in without reaching too far. 
Okay, so if that's the the sort of core of what it takes to be Stargate, right? You, your mileage may vary whether sure. it's where it's set and how big the team is, etc. Is there a moment in the 14 years of Stargate, uh, 17 produced seasons, where you think maybe uh, it, it stumbled or or took its eye off the ball? Uh, is there a mistake that the franchise has made that that maybe moving forward? Uh, you would you would want to see them pay attention to? Yes, but I'm starting to think that that's mostly because of factors that were outside of the producer's creative control. Because you have, mm. as you referenced in your first video, though, will there be a fourth Stargate series? I mean, in 2008 or 2009, Stargate was booming. I mean, we had two direct-to-DVD movies in 2008. We had um, two more promised on the way. Uh, we had a new TV show, and we had which was Stargate Universe coming out, and then we had Stargate Worlds, which is supposed to be this massive online multiplayer role playing game. And there was so much yeah. potential, and I'm almost wondering if they spread himself too thin and kind of, you know, Universe was trying to expand the audience. Stargate Worlds was going to be a smash hit in the gaming universe. Directed DVD movies are a very very specific market, and once the economy went to a recession and rocked that. Um, industry, the movies just the potential for that evaporated. I, I wonder if there's an argument to be made that that the producers kind of need to build a world um, and, and some kind of continuity between a couple mediums and work together more closely. I mean, what the I'll, I'll say this: the thing that a mistake that could probably be fixed and would have really helped the unity amongst fandom was to run uh, Atlantis and Universe in parallel for at least one year. <laughs> Um, yeah. transition between stories because if you just abruptly halt or prematurely cut short certain stories as you know was done with Stargate Universe and to an extent Stargate Atlantis like it leaves a bad taste lingering in fandom's mouth which can kind of uh, cause there be a bit of dissent yeah this was kind of an audience problem when Atlantis ended in uh, beginning of 2009 they, they aired their last episodes and then by October Universe was on the air this was more of a an audience expectation management issue and this isn't just you and me uh, Joseph Malazzi has recently said this in his interview at Stargate Command which is that if you allow for an overlap right if you give Atlantis a sixth and final season then uh, it doesn't feel quite so much to those of us who loved Atlantis that that show is getting ripped away from you. Now, granted, the the show's producers did not have a crystal ball, right? They could not see that the DVD market was going to implode. They had every intention of continuing Atlantis, just continuing it in a different medium, right? Not just one Atlantis movie, not just Stargate Extinction, but actually multiple ongoing direct-to-DVD movies that, that would also air on cable. Uh, the fact that that didn't happen was, uh, uh, right, how many of us saw the crash of 2008 coming? I at least give them credit that the intention was there. So Darren, I want to get your take on this. What do you think Stargate, uh, where do you think Stargate might have faltered in the past and, and what were the reasons for that? I have one thing I wanted to add here, which is uh, we've, we've talked so far about the kind of production realities. Uh, when I think about in-universe, David and I have, have touched on this point over the course of the years of the podcast a number of times, but the texture of the Stargate universe really changed when they introduced ships, when they introduced spaceships, right? We got the Prometheus in season six, and then eventually we got, we got Daedalus and Odyssey. 
and it opened up or there's there's kind of a positive and negative of this this choice it opened up new possibilities right? new ways of telling stories new kinds of stories we could tell uh like grace in season seven uh, uh it also gave sg1 quite a lot of of power right it was it was almost especially when you gave those ships asgard weapons and asgard transporters and we've got, you know, uh, locator chips implanted in our people when they go off world so that if they get into trouble, Odyssey can swoop in and beam them out. And that that became a little a little convenient, not that, that it didn't make for interesting and fun stories, but the, the kind of vibe of what I am thinking of is what Jack O'Neill says to the Asgard in the fifth race, which is that uh, we're out there now. Right. We may not be ready for all this stuff, but we're out there. We're doing our best. And that's what the, the show was for the first several years was where the team goes through the gate and they're really kind of in over their heads every time they go through the gate. And right, I don't fault the writers for this. The show had, had been going for six years. They thought it was probably going to end pretty soon. Uh, and when a show goes for 10 years, right, you got to int- introduce new things. You got to inject new ideas and new story possibilities. So I'm not I'm not ready to call it a mistake, but it definitely changed Stargate. It it gave our team I think more power than than I would like to see a show in the future where our sort of ability to to beat the bad guys is scaled back considerably. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, actually I want to add on to that. That's a really good point because I see the same trend mirrored in Atlantis. Like in season 1 we had a very terrifying adversary at the time, which was the Wraith. I mean, they, they couldn't be killed. You would empty a whole machine gun sure. magazine into their armor and they would still get up and chase chase after you. You know, and as the seasons waned on, all of a sudden, you know, one pistol shot to the shoulder would kill the Wraith, and they became kind of these cartoonish cannon fodder. And you have the same issue again with the Daedalus class ships. Um, once they got Asgard technology. Once they got in a battle, there was no reason they couldn't obliterate hives. Like it kind of became infeasible that that there was an adversary that could really give the Atlantis team some kind of challenge. And while you know Stargate Universe didn't run nearly as long as Atlantis, it did a good job of really putting our heroes in a situation where every time they evolved, there was a new challenge. There was a new race, new new technology, new villain, uh, a new weakness within the destiny or within within their their nuclear unit of a team. Uh, I'd like to see more of that. I'd like to see villains kind of have a bit more staying power for if we're going to have regular villains like we did in the old show. I, I kind of want to see a bit more of that frontier challenge because that's why we yeah. watch stories is to see characters, people we identify with be challenged. And when that there's no easier way to kill conflict when you just create it as, as something that like this person fights this person just because, you know, there has to be some kind of edge to the conflict. And like, I think it's important for storytellers not to let their guard down um, or, or, or create it, make it too easy for the heroes. Like you said. Yeah, this is something that Stargate has has always kind of done. Is it, if you look at the whole scope of the seventeen years, uh, it, it's always ratcheting up the, the the challenge to the heroes by introducing new elements. So, first season or two of SG One, the just the, the Jaffa, right, just running into Jaffa on another planet was a really dangerous situation. Uh, and then the Jaffa became cannon fodder, became yeah, one quick shot, and they're they're going to go down. Uh, and the writers, of course, they recognize this 
and they introduced the Cole Warriors. Right, the Cole <laughs> were introduced in season seven, and you couldn't shoot them. We didn't have any weapon that could touch them uh, until later in that season. We developed a, a anti coal gun, right? A particular kind of energy weapon, and we can now we can take care of them. And now it's just ratcheted up, ratcheted up. We get the replicators. And we figure out how to deal with the replicators more or less. So we get the, the human form replicators that are nanite based. We figure out how to take care of them. We take care of the Gould and then we introduce the Ori. Right? The Ori are ascended beings. They're more powerful still. Uh, and so every once in a while, right, you have to not only introduce a new threat, but you also have to kick your heroes down a peg. And so we get the gate bridge and then the gate bridge gets blown up. We get Prometheus. Eventually, Prometheus gets blown up. Right? The heroes need right. to be dealt that that challenge that sets them back on their heels. This was one of the great things about how SGU started was you take that, that group of characters and you toss them across the universe to a different galaxy onto the ship that is barely running. Right, The first episode, they can barely breathe. And they don't have those resources. They don't have all the resources that Stargate Command has accumulated over the course of a decade. So now that we are so many years on, both in, in terms of real-life production and distribution opportunities, and also in the story, the characters are, are so much farther along that they have, right? Earth has these ships. We have the Asgard Computer Corps. Uh, we have all this experience fighting bad guys. Uh, what is it about 2018 or 2019 that's going to be new for Stargate? What opportunities are there now that weren't there the last time Stargate was in production? Well, this is interesting because going off of your point about familiarity starting to seep into shows specifically SG-1 and Atlantis, I mean, you have even just because of production challenges of having you know a tv budget and shooting in vancouver you have forest and and the for and more forest and and the same looking forest and it's starting to feel like there's a homogeny in the galaxy and you know you're always running into the it's the same looking forest the same looking yeah enemy. did you see that forest a few times <laughs> yeah i think so and apparently it exists in both the milky way and pegasus i mean you do have some stuff like city urban scapes or abandoned cities or or something water-based or ocean-based or, or desert-based but you know after 15 seasons it, it was limited the thing is at that time um I mean, you even, heck, you even had the village set on, on the big stage at Bridge Studios where it's like, yeah. if, if we're not in the forest, there's this, um, you know, middle age style village. Can I tell you a secret about the medieval village set that they mm -hmm. built? Absolutely. Uh, well, one of the main impetus for building a, a whole soundstage was with the medieval village, which you can see starting in season nine of SG-1 and season two of Atlantis, it gets reused lots and lots and lots and, and lots of planets, lots of different ways in both Milky Way and Pegasus. Yeah. But uh, one of the main reasons why they had to do it was because they were losing a lot of their locations. Because oh, interesting. housing developments were going up and telephone wires were going up and cars were visible in the background. So a lot of those uh, spots that they were used to shooting in for years and years, as, as the city of Vancouver grew, they lost some of those locations. Right. But looking at the here and now, though, that what's changed since then, I think 
mostly is technology. The uh, progress we've made in visual effects and visual extensions of sets that are are very affordable and and have a semblance of quality to them is staggering. And we began to see this with Stargate Universe. I mean, I I loved Atlantis. I'd spent, you know, a year or two really digging into the older stuff. When Universe came on air, I mean, we got the we went to the New Mexico desert twice. Um, they built the, the the jungle set they built for season one of of SGU was so good. They had the one set for time, which was like this really dense tropical jungle, the season one episode, and then they redressed it with snow for for the, the a later season one episode Lost. Oh and it yeah, looked just so rich, and they they used some visual effects extensions to make it feel like you were in a forest, and we, we had such freshness in environment. There's one moment, it's only a two minute scene, but when they're trying to track down Scott and, and Chloe and Eli in Lost, um, Lieutenant James and, and Dr. Rush go to this like crystal planet that has this weird orange crystal atmosphere. And it was a small practical set with a big visual effect extension, but I've never seen something in Stargate Universe done so well that looked like that. And that yeah. was in 2010. We're in 2018. So if we even have just the same budget as we had last time, the environments that we can explore can really expand even what we know in the Milky Way and Pegasus if we're going to set the show there. So so to, to sum that up, I mean, we have the technology and, and the ability to kind of harness that true explore, uh, true exploration I think the creators were going for but just couldn't logistically pull off. Everything can get ratcheted up. We have the technology. So what about you? What are you thinking? What do you see now that we're in 2018 that, that Stargate can utilize to, to move the, the show and the universe forward? Some of it, the franchise, like you said, has already done. The, the technology evolved so much just from 1997 when SG-1 went into production to you know 2010 when they were wrapping up the second season of Stargate Universe. Uh, just imagine i mean you just have to watch a a show that's on right now right turn on something on netflix the most recent thing that i've i've checked out is the new lost in space reboot on netflix it's really cool show it it looks gorgeous uh and you can just imagine uh with with a good budget of course the the sorts of visuals that can be produced on stargate today right as you said another almost decade down the road I actually just started a show called Altered Carbon on Netflix, and it has some of the producers and the creative crew on Stargate. Just warning, it is very much an adult show. It's very graphic and and gritty at times, fair warning, because I know we're more of a a family podcast environment. Uh, But the visuals, the cyberpunk dynamics, the locations, I I mean, it's just it's out of this world. And the budget isn't probably that much more than what we got with with some of the later seasons of Stargate. it's just it's so exciting to have these long form shows that even in a TV universe now feel limitless. Yeah. Dollars to dollars. The other thing that I think is different now than when Stargate started. Again, I'm an old timer, so I'm I'm thinking 1997 when SG-1 started is uh, storytelling has evolved. Of course, on TV, we have much more arc based storytelling where you have a, a single kind of macro level story that stretches over the course of an entire season or an entire series. Uh, when, when, you know, Babylon five had done it in the nineties, but, uh, everybody usually points to shows like lost and Battlestar Galactica as shows that, that did that SG one. Of course, if you go back and watch, especially the earlier years of it, it was, it was more episodic. 
And that's just the way that TV shows were made more or less in the 90s. Uh, we go through the gate, we get into trouble, we get out of it, and we go home, and the story ends. And of course, I've said this on the podcast many times, what I loved about Stargate, what really hooked me, was all the the weaving together of layers, all the, the backwards references to what had happened in the character's past. Certainly. And, you know, characters coming back. What we have now is a kind of storytelling that... I think the Stargate universe is just ripe for. And and Stargate Universe, the TV show, did this, of course. They came along in 2009 and uh, told a story that, that was a bit a bit bigger in scale, maybe we could say, a bit, a bit grander, a bit more arc-based. But we didn't get the whole story, right? We didn't get to find out about the cosmic background radiation. We didn't get the end of the story. So I would love to see a modern Stargate story that that is that is arc based that has a beginning middle and an end i mean the benefit of of shows like altered carbon and lost in space is that it, when the show is released it comes out in full and we have talked about this before but i think it's important to bring up because if you were able to watch a show like Stargate Universe or any of the aforementioned serialized shows straight through it creates this like extended cinematic experience um it's just becoming a, a bigger thing nowadays with shows even like Stranger Things or Game of Thrones. I mean, season one of Stranger Things is really just an eight-hour movie. It's It happens to be broken up into hour-long segments, but it is a story that was actually – you could have condensed into a feature film, but it wouldn't have had the depth of characters or mythology or the plants and payoffs over the course of, of eight hours. So like, I just think like, what if you had – a Stargate story that was just like an eight or 10 hour mini series or even season that, that explored one of maybe like the story arc we've seen in SG one where they only had one or two episodes or something in universe where they had to fit it into a two part. Or it's like, now you have like, if you want to dig into something like really just do a story centric on destiny, achieving its mission. Every once in a while I'll get an email or I'll see an online post from somebody who is new to Stargate and kind of wants uh, they're not they're not hardcore enough that they are going to see every single episode, but they're asking for which episodes do I need to watch? Yeah. Which episodes are, are kind of the, the core part of the story and not not the filler? So, I mean, can you imagine if you just look at a, a 20 episode season of, of Stargate, if you just take like the two part premiere and the mid season two parter and a couple other key episodes and then the big flashy season finale Right. You're going to get about eight episodes out of that season. Yeah. Can you imagine if that was that was the story, if that was a a full season? Well, here's the challenge that that um, kind of differentiates then and now Um, when you're doing 20 episodes a season and you're on cable TV and it's in the 2000s, you are given a budget not just per episode, but for the entire season. And you say, look, I really want to give some adventure rich and and, and more serial, a bigger serialized story like the Goa'ul or the Ancients or the Replicators or or um, the Nakai or or the Veneer. And you, but you need to balance that with episodes that cost less. So you can take maybe 20 for 25% of one right. episode's average budget and give it to the big um, big finales or the big uh, intros. So what you end up with are, are episodes like Inquisition that are clip shows that are, you know, maybe like 10 minutes of the 42 minutes are just uh, visuals or, or sequences from previous episodes and the characters are like sitting around and recalling the past. Or you have bot- what they call bottle shows where the entire show takes place in an existing set. Like say, for example, um, The Intruder. And it's a great episode but it's kind of like it feels a little claustrophobic you know 
Star gets really good at bottle shows. I think of some of, of my favorites that are set just on the SGC where we, we don't go off world. Um, season two's a matter of time. Yeah. With the, the black hole slowing down time. Season eight's avatar where Teal'c is stuck in the video game, right? Those are bottle shows, but they're executed really well. Well, the other thing is with bottle shows or clip shows, a lot of times if you really want to save every penny, you just don't do action because stunts, squibs, guns, um, choreography, all that costs so much money. So there are some episodes where they definitely rely on creativity. Like I got to be very clear. I never felt that Atlantis or SG-1 intentionally compromised its creative integrity to save money or try to fit a mold. However, it very much felt like the creators were bridled and had to balance, you know, some of the more opulent episodes. And with a new format, like something that's distributed on Stargate Command or something that comes out on streaming that's more intentional and and pre-planned and centric on one story, you kind of turn that model obsolete so you don't have to be limited anymore. So Darren, what do you see in the future for Stargate? Let's just get very granular and talk about now. You know, Origins is over. Um, the, for the first season at least, and we're kind of in this extended holding pattern where we have the feature cut of Origins coming out this summer. We we had the Drive to Revive campaign on Twitter that was, you know, with Stargate Now became very big, and so there's a lot of demand for it. There's a lot of talk. So where do you see this going, and what options for Stargate do you see being explored? This is a huge question. So we've we've tried to break this down into like what what platform, what medium, where might it go, what might it look like. I think I've been pretty consistent. I remember doing the podcast, the official Stargate podcast with David and Jenny last year. And I said this before we heard about Stargate Origins, uh, that it was going to exist. I would love to see a Stargate show, right? A full length, fully budgeted Stargate show on a digital platform like Netflix. Netflix is, I don't know how much longer the gravy train is going to last, but Netflix has been throwing money at everybody who knocks on the door. Right. South Park did a great episode about call up Netflix and you'll get a green light. <laughs> but they'll do smaller seasons, of course. They'll do 13 episodes or 12 episodes or 10 episodes or eight episodes yeah. because Netflix is right. The business model is based on binging. It's based on uh, ending an episode that makes you want to go ahead and stay up another hour and watch the next one and then the next one and then the next one. So that you get a binge-worthy show, you get great word of mouth. And word of mouth drives right, new viewers. For someplace like Netflix, it drives new subscribers. So I would love to see a, a really richly budgeted and developed Stargate show on someplace like Netflix or maybe Amazon or Hulu. Uh, and then in addition to that, I want more Stargate Origins. I want to see the sort of short form web content that can live on Stargate Command and then go back and fill in the background of the mythology. Right? I want we got we got Catherine's story. I want uh, maybe a young Braytac. I want maybe right. the history of the ancients, that sort of thing. Uh, so I think those things can live together really well. We'll get a full show and then we'll also have new canonical Stargate material that lives on Stargate Command. I got to say, I pretty much 100% agree with you. I think we're on exactly yeah. the oh, same good. page. Yeah, yeah, it's going to maybe it'll be a simple discussion because it's like, I think that's the logical route to go. As made clear by this most recent round, an origin series in and of itself doesn't really sustain the brand or the fandom in a way that a franchise as big as Stargate should. 
So we need a kind of bread and butter, meat and potatoes, very centric event, you know, series or season that comes out on maybe an annual basis. However, I don't think it needs to end there. And I think fleshing out the greater universe in origins type stories are really good. However, I will add one addendum to that. I think origins is is in the, the 10 episode um 10 minute 10 episode format it's i almost wonder if it's better to have origin standalone features like low budget maybe not even the scope of continuum or arc of truth but take what you do with origin which is essentially a feature film and just sure. double the budget and give it an actual adventure um and, and release that maybe once a year so if you have like one movie and one series a year i feel like that or, or two small movies in a series a year yeah. i feel like that might be better because again like the 10 minute episodes i understand it's it's a digital platform a digital series it's meant in this specific iteration to be episodic but like i tell you with a modern desire to binge like having to stop and watch a pair of credits and jump right into a new episode yeah. every 10 minutes it's it's kind of tiresome you know, not just episodic, but it's. I think it's intended to be uh, in small, digestible chunks, right? Kind of like when you're on YouTube, you watch, you watch a video, you click on the next one because it's only five minutes. You click on the next one because it's only ten minutes, and you can you can do it on the train while you're on your commute. Um, you can do it while you're waiting in the doctor's office. You're not committing to a forty-five minute TV show. Certainly. Uh, so yeah, there's a couple of ways I think you can go with web content, which is you could make one large product like Stargate Origins, uh, make it as a movie and release it all at once. Or you can do this kind of uh, short, shorter, short form, right? They call Stargate Origins mid form because 10 minutes is right, longer than three minutes. Short form webisodes would be like three to five minutes. Um, and that would be more like Stargate Universe did the Kino webisodes. Exactly. And so those are all standalone. That's not one story that's being told. If you sit down and watch all 30 plus Kino webisodes all on a stretch, that's not a single story that's being told, right? They're little character vignettes. So you could do one, you could do the other. Uh, yeah, what they've tried to do with Stargate Origins is take one story and deliver it in a more piecemeal fashion. Uh, I, I tried to think the other day, I tried to think about uh, Origins. Now that we've seen the whole thing, we've seen all 100 minutes, if they had actually released it 10 minutes per week, instead of giving us batches of episodes like they did, if we had only seen episode one and then we had to wait seven days and then episode two and then seven days, I'm not sure how that how that would have worked. It could be more feasible if it was done in conjunction with something bigger, If we if we knew that this was an add-on. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think, I think in this case they did the right thing with Origins. I would have liked the feature yeah. cut to have come a little bit sooner than Summer. However, it does kind of sustain the window to discuss Target Origins, and that's part of the thing I'm excited about is to still work on interviews and and cultivate some of the the content that Gateworld would usually do, even though Origins is technically quote unquote done. Um, so it does actually this web format. I will give you that the point that it you know I will agree with actually the point that that it, it sustains interest and sustains involvement while being digestible. I think it's just it's it's very dependent on the user whether they engage in it, whether you know whether whether the consumer responds to it or whether they feel it's limiting. Yeah, and it was successful in kind of extending and sustaining the conversation over the course of a longer period of time. 
Well, there's one component left to this discussion, which I'm very excited to get to. Um, Stargate will be back at some point. I think that's almost a definite, and that's very exciting. However, there is a new generation who has not experienced Stargate yet, and something that might be on a subscription platform like Stargate Origins might limit the casual audience that's passing by just looking for good content. I mean, you really need something in theaters or on Netflix that can just be within a click that they can get to. So with that in mind, what do you think is the best way to package and kind of present Stargate to a new generation of of casual viewership that might follow in the footsteps of of, of current fans and, and become you know join Gateworld and be on Stargate Command and and have that become a part of their life, but they just haven't had that first dose yet. They haven't <laughs> dose sounds like a drug. They just haven't taken that first step into the well, Stargate um the Stargate universe. Yeah, a good show kind of kind of is like a drug once you're once you're hooked on it. This is a really a big question, right? This is a really important question because us old timers are are aging, and any any TV show, any franchise needs a new infusion of new viewers. This is why Stargate ended up being so successful. Was after season five, Showtime had decided to cancel the show. They were done with it. It was a it was a Showtime original for the first five seasons. And Showtime in the United States is a premium cable network. You have to pay extra money to add it on to your package. And when they made the decision to move to Sci-Fi Channel and continue production, Sci-Fi Channel picked it up. Sci-Fi was basic cable. Sci-Fi was in a lot more households. And what it did was it introduced Stargate to a whole new universe of viewers. Right. So the audience had the potential to explode. And it did. And that's why SG-1 ended up uh, so successful in the second half of its run. I'll admit when the recent news came out that Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin were developing a new Stargate trilogy that would be theatrically theatrically released. It would kind of be like their original vision that that was starting in, in 1994, the original movie. And to me, it was going to launch an extended universe for Stargate. And I was, at the time, I was excited not because I particularly yeah. like Devlin and Emmerich's brand of storytelling. In fact, I actively dislike it in many ways. So for the creative integrity of the universe, it might be better that that, that, that option didn't come to pass. However, I, that accessibility of a blockbuster and the visibility of a blockbuster, I mean, the, the advertisement and how far it reaches in our culture is so yeah. valuable. And, you know, we just don't have that. You wouldn't have that with Showtime or you wouldn't have that just on the Stargate Command platform. So I'm just really looking and hoping that as much as I love Stargate Command and I want that to continue, I want that to be expand as a hub and a destination for Stargate fans. I yeah. just think we need some kind of cultural visibility that a lot of big franchises need to succeed and create an extended universe. That's a good way to put it. Uh, cultural visibility. It's If it's not a big budget feature film, uh, then what's it going to be? Where is it going to go? And how are people going to find out about it? Uh, exactly. Someplace like Netflix. Right? Netflix has, uh, I think, over 100 million subscribers now. Um, Netflix is also worldwide. We haven't touched on this yet. I think one of the advantages of sticking a, a new show on a, a distribution partner like Netflix is the new show can go worldwide simultaneously. Now, you're maybe not old enough to remember <laughs> what a hassle it was 
when you know so much of online fandom was international and there would be a two, three, four month delay or more between the US broadcast and broadcasts in the UK and Europe and Australia and elsewhere. So right, we have this whole you know portion of online fandom who could not participate in discussing the new episode for months, right? They'd have to come back months after the US had seen it. And it was just Right? That's kind of the way TV viewership was. But now we have worldwide distribution platforms. Can you just imagine if every Stargate fan in the world right, who had access to Netflix in their country could watch the new season on day one? That would be amazing. The idea just blows my mind. But yeah, it's got to be it's got to be accessible. It's got to be uh, it's got to have a marketing budget. Obviously, people just don't find out about these things uh, uh, by reading their newspaper. It's got to have a marketing budget and it's got to have word of mouth, right? Stranger Things is a great example of something that hit and blew up because of the word of mouth more than anything else. I think at this point, it's not going to be an either or thing. That's the best part of this discussion. The most exciting element is that, like we said, it needs cultural visibility, but that doesn't mean Stargate Command can't exist and thrive as a Stargate or even a sci-fi hub. I think... there's just no rule book for where we're at. There's no precedent for the kind of distribution of content. So like I said in my article, I think with the right creativity and resources, the sky's the limit for the Stargate franchise to reclaim its former glory and potentially even become bigger than it's ever been. Well, you know, I feel like after that discussion, we could probably spend another hour talking about what we would like to see from from the next Stargate show or movie or web series or whatever it is. Uh, That's the fun of being a fan. That's the fun of speculating. But at the end of the day, we kind of just have to wait. We kind of have to see what is actually going to come next. What's going to be the announcement? When is it going to come? Is it going to be big? Is it going to be little? Is it going to be both? Uh, so we're going to keep our ears to the ground. I hope that you'll continue to tune in to GateWorld.net. Uh, we'll report the news as soon as we hear it, as soon as we can. And of course, we want to hear what you think of the discussion. I'm sure as you're listening, you've got 10,000 opinions of your own uh, that are in your head that you want to get them out. You can come over to GateWorld Forum. You can post a comment at GateWorld.net. You can go to YouTube and post a comment on the video version of this podcast. We want to hear from you. We want to hear what you think uh, Stargate should be in the future, what a show should look like, what a movie should look like, where it should be distributed. Uh, Tell us what you think. We also want to hear what you want to see from GateWorld during this hiatus. Adam, we're in this kind of weird space again where the the show that we were looking forward to has wrapped up, but they have not yet announced if they're going to do a second season of Origins, if they're going to do another project. So we're in this – right? I think last time I called it the, the void between galaxies. <laughs> we're kind of – with uh, the Destiny crew, we've kind of gone into, into hibernation. Right. And I I really hope it doesn't last for too long. Um, I guess I'm just excited to use this time to kind of start to cultivate like some of the video presence for GateWorld or or restart the podcast or find new ways in a new age to continue to celebrate fandom with the same kind of passion and vigor we used to do it when the old shows were on air.
So write in, tell us, uh, tell us what kind of content you'd like to see us spending our time on. If you want us to do more podcasts, if you want us to do more video content, if you want us to uh, do more of the kind of looking back and celebrating the Stargate that was, or more of this kind of vision casting, looking toward the future and what Stargate might be. We want to hear from you. So thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you back here next time on the Gate World Podcast.